Hi, friends. Welcome to the show. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the HitSavers app from Dr. Lenny Lewis, our old friend from from the show a while back. You've seen her. You know and love her. And the HitSavers app is an app that will bring you nine actionable steps to change your life around. They're, su- they're easy to do. And even though you can't change your life overnight, you can change the direction of your life, and it'll it'll help you, guaranteed. And HitSavers is an acronym that stands for Hydrate, the I Am Grateful Journal, Time's Up, Make My Bed, Silence Meditation, Affirmation, Visioneering, Exercise, and Shower. And for the Hydrate, here's a little key. Set water next to your bed, and that way in the morning you can be refreshed with that nice nourishment, that water that'll go down your throat. Oh, beautiful. It's available in the Google Play Store and you're going to love it. The Google Play Store. And if you want more resources, you can go to her podcast which is the best morning routine ever podcast. You can also go to her website needlewis.com You're going to love it, folks. She's got so much available. Such an amazing person. So go to HitSavers in the Google Play Store. Change your life around. And now back to the show. for not recording more frequently over the summer. I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm sorry about that. But I'm back. It feels weird recording again for some reason. I don't know why it's weird. But you know, shit happens. Whoops. Okay, so... A lot of stuff has happened since the last episode, and I think I just want to start with just a fun topic, something that made me very happy, actually. Um, So I recently, or rather recently, I started reading uh, the latest book in the Hunger Games series, it's a prequel. It's called the, so- the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It's about a young Coriolanus Snow. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers, so don't worry. Or I'll try not to. Uh, I'll just try to tell you stuff that you could easily find out in the synopsis. And I had some stuff that I wanted to talk about in relation to this. And don't worry. What I'm, t- what I'm about to say is stuff that really can be seen, can be viewed from, can be seen in the original books and the movies. So if something is a spoiler, then in all likelihood it's a spoiler of the original trilogy or the movies. So don't get mad at me about that. If I do accidentally spoil the book, I'm sorry, but I am going to try very, very hard not to do so. Okay? So, I said it's about a young Coriolanus Snow. And one thing that you could notice from any of the stories is that all of the names, or most of the... most of the names in the capital 
are Roman. Whereas in the names of the districts, you, you have names like Katniss, Prim, uh, Peta. Uh, well, Peta might be Roman. But anyway, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, Katniss Prim, um, Hamich, Finnick, whereas in the capital, it's stuff like Coriolanus is one of them, Plutarch, Heavensby, they're all Roman. And that was very intentional by Suzanne Collins because she was creating a dynamic there. And I don't know how deeply she was going into this, but I want to go very deeply into this. And I want to say that obviously this book is looking at a number of different themes, but one of them possibly could be drawing a parallel back to the Roman relationship with, I'll just call them barbarians, um, because that's what they call them. They'd basically call any any outsider a barbarian. Because these Germans were relatively, by their standards, unsophisticated. They were they seemingly were very wild and oftentimes very dangerous. Although although it is true that the Romans very, very often defeated many of these Germanic tribes. They were still a force to be reckoned with. Also, the fact is, many of these Germanic tribes didn't look so un-Roman themselves. Many of them had been in contact with the Roman Empire, had traded with them, or had some mediator between them and the Romans that, trade for, that traded. And they ended up getting some Roman ideas with a, obviously a German twist. And um, Germanic is kind of a blanket term here. There are obviously a number of German tribes. Like there was those in Gaul, or the Vandals, the Visigoths, number of them. But you can draw this back to its connections in the Hunger Games, where the capital, in many ways, was afraid of uprisings from the districts. There was an uneasy relationship. They were often viewed as other. People didn't really realize just how similar they were even though they'd been, the capital and the districts had had a relationship for some time. They're part of the same country, for God's sake. And although it is true that the capital is able to defeat them as they have a substantial military might, the districts are forced to be reckoned with. And it takes a lot to remind them of the revolution. That's what the Hunger Games are for, to remind them about what happened. To quote Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky, Vive la guerre éternelle! Long live the eternal war! And the Hunger Games is a way of keeping that war going, or at least our remembrance of it, in some form or another. But the Hunger Games is only an example of how life can be. You see... In Mockingjay, if you've seen that or read it, I did both. The capital uses many of its so-called mutts and traps and whatnot within its own city to fight 
the rebels that were coming in. This was stuff put there by game makers showing the connection between these games and the war. The games are just a, a sample of what could be. They never end. Even after Katniss won her first Hunger Games. And honestly, if, you, if that was a spoiler for you, then... You obviously weren't into the books anyway, and so you probably don't care. <laughs> but even after she won in the first book, the games never ended. Obviously, she was put into the games a second time during the, court, this, the quarter quell. And every year she would have to... Go out with the new District 12 tributes who are going to be put into the slaughterhouse to be made an example of. And the district was sick of that, and eventually, and eventually. They rose up and they decided to end it all. And so, we, I can imagine the capital being something like the Roman Empire. Where in the beginning they were such a strong force, had the best military might. Or I shouldn't even say the capital, I should just, maybe I should just say Pan Am. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say the capital. All these top-notch military and scientific advancements that they can, the way that they can alter a gene is, it's fantastic. That whole idea of the Jabberjay. But like the Romans, what, ha what happened with the Romans is, after a while, their military started diminishing and eventually became more German than Roman. And they were just hiring people to fight for them. And sure, they were good fighters, but they didn't have... It wasn't the same as a Roman force. It was getting harder for them maintain the same quality of army. And of course the Romans were oftentimes delegating away their empire. Like at times there were more than one emperor. There was the eastern and the western half and eventually after the western fell, the eastern fell kept going for a while, became the Byzantine Empire. And they were even giving some lands to some German tribes, such as North Africa was given to the Vandals, which eventually sacked Rome a second time. Another important point to remember. This is a, a a different, a different topic to go off of here. But what is a barbarian really? As I said, the Romans viewed barbarians as anyone that was not Roman, or anyone, any outsider. Same as the Greeks, any anyone that wasn't Greek was a barbarian. Oftentimes, the Macedonians were even portrayed as barbarians. But not not everybody felt this way. As a matter of fact, there was probably a number of people that after Rome was no longer in charge of these territories, some of these Germans might have been even viewed as saviors, depending on who you were, of course. In some, ca in some cases, 
there wasn't that much of a change. Just new leadership, new management. In other cases, there's lots of changes. Obviously, the, the sack of Rome was, or the two sacks of Rome were quite significant. Another important thing to remember was the decline in literacy that occurred in many places. But the important thing is, is that really a decline? How do we define decline? Because what if, what if a decline in literacy wasn't actually necessarily negative? What if suddenly this new world was one where literacy was not as important? And there were other things that were more important. A new world with a different focus. And this gets at the point of what is progress? I mean, the capital may say that they are more more advanced than the districts because they have all this. They can do work miracles with genes and they can have military marvels and they have all these fancy dresses and makeup and all this stuff, all this rich people stuff. But why is that superior? my question. And now if I want to go on a, another little tangent here, let's get into sustainability. Because many people will say, well, we can't, we can't do that. We can't try to limit our industry because why not stop progress? Well, what is progress? Is progress using up every natural resource available until we're just a, a rock, the third rock from the sun, or the runaway greenhouse effect like Venus? Or is progress some sort of combination of growth, technological growth, combined with sustainability, trying to limit that growth just enough so that you don't completely screw yourself over. That's what I want to get at. Okay. Next topic, people. All right, so obviously, in the wake of the awful, tragic death of George Floyd, there's a number of different resources which were which I find very interesting to read. Read up on that a little bit. And some I agree with, some I don't. I'll read you some of both. I'll start with one I would like to critique a little bit here. Well, actually, first of all, I'm gonna, I'd like to say something else that I disagree with. So, the thing that I disagree with is a post that says, you cannot be anti-racist without being anti-capitalist, here's why. Okay, so here's why, I'm just gonna read what it says here. So capitalism is a political economic system built on inequality. By nature, it concentrates power via wealth, materials, resources, control over the means of production into the hands of a ruling class at the top of society. This creates a system of haves and have-nots, where the people have increasingly less equity, less social mobility, and less power. 
It is a competitive hierarchical structure that necessitates oppression, exploitation, and domination. And in order to survive, capitalism deploys many ideological tactics to distract us from this fact. They didn't really define capitalism. They defined one effect of capitalism got a mark. And obviously capitalism needs to be checked, kept in check. Because you don't really want pure capital. You don't want no regulations, obviously. It's stupid. But here. But concentration of power into the ruling hands of the top society. Okay, so I've discussed it before. Uh, a while ago, actually, uh, about the Pareto distribution and how naturally the majority of thing of everything is going to be in does a small minority of the population. So, like that's true, and in, in this case, it's true in sports. So, the the vast majority of accomplishments in a sport or the majority of the money. Is going to be in a small minority, but that does not necessarily mean that it's oppressive. Um, so it creates a system of haves and have-nots. Um, well, yes, here, but here's the thing that I thought: it is a competitive hierarchical structure that necessitates oppression, exploitation, and domination. Well, the the whole point is that it is competitive. And so people are competing for the best deal. And so I'm just going to think on a micro level here because it's just easier to explain to you. Um, so you go to Target and you see off-brand jelly and the name brand. The off-brand is cheaper, you buy that. And so you are voting for that company over the other one. But let's look at a definition of capitalism here. Capitalism is an economic system in which private individuals or businesses own capital goods. The production of goods and services is based on supply and demand in the general market. Known as the market economy, it's not... Capitalism is not an evil thing. It is a system... It's a system where the collective demand of the population rules. And so when, in general, there's more spending in the economy, it goes up. When there's less, it goes down, and you're in a recession. And of course, there's a lot of good arguments that actually GDP isn't a good measure of economic growth. And so that's one thing that Andrew Yang just talked about, and I agree with him on that a lot. I like Andrew Yang. But, you know, there's a number of other things to measure by... I'm not going to get into those because that's off topic too much. But anyway, back to the post. Okay, and oh, and also um, another thing about the competition is in a capitalist society, you're supposed you're supposed to follow what is going to benefit yourself. Okay, so, and remember, I'm not saying that you should, this is not saying that you should, um, if you get the opportunity to punch someone, you should do it, because hey, the person standing in my way should punch him, it's in my, it's in my self-interest, no, your rational self-interest is what you follow, not your, not just every little whim, every single little impulse to do something that you think would help you. That's not what it means to act selfishly. Okay, so for example, help, helping a friend do something. It's like, oh, that's, that's altruistic. No, that's, that is selfish. 
It is your friend, you care about them, and when your friend is happy, you are happy, and so you help your friend. And capitalism is all about mutual agreements between people to make to make trades. So you know, you go into a store. Uh, the store has agreed to sell a product for five dollars, and you believe that is a fair price. And you give them five dollars. It was it was consensual. You both agreed. You made the trade. That contributed to the economy, the capitalist economy. Okay, all right, next part of the post. Racism is an ideology that uploads its balance. Okay, well, there's, there's nothing to disagree with here. Uh, well, except that it upholds capitalism, but it is, it is an ideology that upholds imbalance. Uh, much like capitalism, racism is built on a hierarchy. It is a false belief system that ranks certain races as superior or inferior. This is true. Uh, it does do this. Um, but more than that is a tool used by capitalists to divide and conquer the masses, rationalize poverty amongst people of color, and inhibit a class of consciousness that could unite a multiracial coalition together to overthrow this unjust societal order. You must remember that slavery was an economic enterprise. In the United States, racism provided the ideological cover to justify the brutal exploitation of African labor for profit. Even today, this master-slave dichotomy remains largely intact in our economy through wage labor and worker alienation. Capitalism both encourages and requires discrimination, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia to validate itself. Okay, why didn't that? Um, main thing I wanted to get to was um, we must remember that slavery was an economic enterprise in the United States. Yes. Yes, it was. And it was part of capitalism. And fortunately, it's over now. Unfortunately, it occurred. I can't agree. Disagree. The only part that it's really possible to disagree with here is comparing wage labor to a form of modern day slavery. When you agree to a job, you are agreeing to put in your time and your labor for money. It is consensual. You have the right to leave. It is not like slavery where you do not have the right to leave. You work at McDonald's, you make quit if you so choose. Now, it may not be in your interest because you may or may not have a job that you will be able to go to afterwards, but you may. obviously argue all day long about whether it's right that your work, labor and your time can be reduced to an hourly wage. Is that right? Well, that's a different argument, really, in my opinion. It's a different argument. And maybe it is. I'm not going to argue that right now. Okay, the police are the ultimate enforcers of capitalism. Dating back to the interstate slave patrols, police forces were created to patrol the wealth and class standing of the rich rather than serve the people. Their job is to repress the masses through violence, intimidation, and imprisonment. Isolated from any democratic control, police represent the cornerstone of austerity, draining public funding meant for universal aid and social programs that better our communities. Their brutality against people of color manifests from the same hierarchical oppression and domination that capitalism cultivates. Police also facilitate a racist criminal justice system that funnels prison slave labor to the private sector. A system that uses these instruments has no conscience and therefore no legitimacy. Okay. Well, it is true that the police were used to oppress not just lower classes, but particularly uh, African Americans in the time of slavery and shortly after. But guess what happens if we defund the police completely? And I know 
what they're saying. I know they're saying we shouldn't, we're not going to get rid of the police completely. Because what happens if we have, let's just say that we do get rid of the police completely. I think that's going to work out for the lower classes that live in higher crime communities. Yeah, it's going to work out for them. So, you don't arrest murders. There are murders on the street. It's not going to work out for people that can't afford to hire security guards. I'm talking about the wealthy here. Obviously, not most people in America cannot afford to hire security guards. But the police are there. And obviously, their reforms do need to happen. More, lots of reforms. We are no, we're not perfect. And we need to realize that. These people will say, okay, George Floyd, it was a fluke incident and we need to just move on. No, we need to change things. But we don't need to abolish the police. And we don't need to diminish them down to a practically non-existent amount. I mean, that's probably that may even happen anyway just because I'm sure there's going to be a number of people that aren't aren't even going to want to join the police force now because they're afraid of what's going to happen okay moving on racism capitalism cannot be unraveled Despite victories from the civil rights movement, capitalism finds new ways to institutionalize racism. Segregation, redlining, mass incarceration, even today's modern identity policies are all examples of an inherently immoral system that obstructs meaningful reform. By offering cheap incrementalism and individualist half-measures, capitalism evolves virtual signaling uh, evolves virtual signaling change while keeping its organization of power firmly in place. Toxic parasitic relationship between racism and capitalism suggests if we are serious about ending racism, we must dismantle the system that weaponizes and generates it. Okay. Let's take it. Let's, let's see what parts I want to get into this. I don't want to get into all of it because I don't want to spend all my all this time on one post. Um, I mean, yeah, mass incarceration, obviously a huge problem, and one problem, one way to reduce that, legalize drugs, okay, that'll get rid of a lot of non-violent offenders. Okay, or at least... Or at least the stuff like uh, legalized uh, hallucinogens and, uh, and uh, marijuana and stuff. Cocaine. Um, I I don't have an opinion on, on legalizing that or not. Cocaine, heroin, meth. Um, I'm open to my mind being changed there. So what is the alternative? Socialism. It's a political economic system built on solidarity. Under socialism, power is fairly distributed in the form of equity, vesting concentrated wealth back into the hands of the people. Through public ownership and workers' control, socialism promotes cooperation and dignity across all, dem all, all demo demographics. Ugh, can't talk today. Well, capitalism also promotes cooperation and dignity across all demographics. If it's, if it's done correctly. If the market, if you allow the market to work its magic. 
producing a more functional sustainable democracy favoring collective interests over profit socialism fl flattens class differences under undermining the oppressive exploitive practices that fuel racism well there have been some pretty racist socialist countries such as uh well there was some pretty bad anti-semitism in the soviet union This is not to say that socialism will necessarily eradicate racism, anti-racist culture, and education have to be fought for in tandem, but as capitalism continues to fail us, we must call for new egalitarian alternatives in how we structure power and wealth. There can be no social justice without economic injustice. skip part of this because it didn't really get into what I wanted to talk about. So what about Venezuela or Cuba or Russia? Socialism is a big tent ideas with room for criticism and debate, but let's be clear, capitalism has no moral authority to impose its will on others. From Africa to Asia to Latin America, the international struggle for socialism has long been a fight against white supremacy in the forms of imperialism and colonialism. Anti-racism at home must, must mean anti-racism abroad. Furthermore, we should go further than Scandinavian models of social democracy towards a framework that is racially non-homogenous and inclusive of all backgrounds. Now more than ever, we, uh, we has the means... That's a strange way to... Strange grammar. Awareness and, and diversity spark the multiracial socialist revolution one's dreamed about. Beyond politics as usual, let's build dual power through mutual and direct action, organize our communities and workplaces, and fight racism with socialism, a better world is possible. Except Scandinavia isn't socialist. Like Bernie Sanders has referred to them as socialists before, but they've replied, they're like, we're not socialists. They're social democracies, they're capitalists. People that advocate for socialism, they're actually advocating for a form of capitalism without realizing it. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a more social democracy, such as countries in Europe. I like that a lot, actually. Quite a bit, actually. At least some parts. Some aspects. basic income. That's part of my favorite. Which is not socialist, by the way. I don't want to get into that right now, but I can... I actually discussed it in the past. Um, let's see. There's so many things that I could get into right now. I don't want to talk about them all. Um, things to normalize. Okay. Um, this one I actually have agree with a fair amount. So things to normalize, I agree with most of this, actually, by the way. Things to normalize. Woman or woman, woman in positions of power, okay. That's cool. Respecting all women, that's cool. Standing up for all women, cool. Protecting all women, cool. Not wearing bra, sure, whatever. Do whatever you want. Female masturbation, sure, whatever, I don't care. Public breastfeeding, cool, I don't care. Another thing to normalize, men having a skincare routine, that's fine. Uh, honestly, so many of these things are pretty normalized already. Or at least, at least with people I know. Uh, men wearing wake makeup. I mean, I guess. Are you talking about in plays or just out in public? I mean, do what you want. Do what you want. I, I stop my thing. Men wearing jewelry. Sure. I mean, they already do. It's a little different than women's jewelry. Uh, men wearing crop tops. Okay, sure. So I'm very open to so all different lifestyles so like I'm okay with like all of these <laughs> you 
even if it's something that I would never do in a million years. Men painting their nails, men wanting to get flowers, men showing emotions. Actually, that one's pretty important, the emotions one. You don't want to hide all your emotions. Uh, more, uh, more things to normalize body diversity. Yeah, I think we should respect everyone, despite their size. No, I mean, that's not to say that someone that's very, very overweight shouldn't try to shouldn't try to lose some weight, assuming they're very obese. You know, we should still respect them. Body hair, yeah, yeah. Cellulite, yeah. Periods, nipples, stretch marks, acne. Uh, more things to normalize: non-binary pronouns. Um, if you use other pronouns, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll use them if you ask me to. I'm, I'm not gonna list. I'm not gonna like put them on my, in my profile, you know, I, if you know me, you know, I'm a guy, so, and if you're afraid to ask me for some reason, just, that's weird, whatever, I, I don't know, <laughs> um, LGBTQ identities, okay, that kind of goes together, androgynous fashion, yeah, Trans actors playing trans characters. Okay. The point of an actor is someone playing something that they're not. So if an actor... If an actor plays a transgender individual... I mean, first of all... Trans is not something that you are physically. It's, it's something in your mind you believe. You identify with another gender. Or you identify as non-binary. It's not, phys it's, not, it's not like intersex where it's physiological, so it's not like when someone's playing a transgender individual as an actor that they're playing someone who's physiologically different. Okay, so there shouldn't be a problem with that. Now playing an intersex character, if there's any nudity, okay, then I need to put some changes. To make it look realistic, okay? Okay, I think I'm done talking about that. <laughs> okay, normalized same-sex relationships, cool. Oh, that's not, that's cool. LGBTQ parents, yeah, that's cool. Um, I think they should be able to adopt. And also, there's some cool stuff coming out with new ways that any that anybody can become a parent. You know. Or they haven't done it in humans yet, but like in mice, they've been able to take like skin cells, blood cells, reverse it back into a sperm or an egg, and then create an embryo, which is pretty cool. And so it's a way that a gay couple could become biological parents. Uh, things to normalize interracial dating, that's awesome. Um, Healthy relationships, obviously, awesome. that's awesome as well. Platonic relationships, cool. Single parents, I mean, haven't we already normalized that? Like, there's, yeah, like, so many, there's so many shows out there with single parents, so. Adoption, that's normalized. At least in my world. I've, I've never seen people act real weird about adoption, really. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Um, apparently we're not supposed to spend money on July 7th because the Black Lives Matter movement is holding a nationwide economic blackout uh, because black people account for $1.2 trillion in annual U.S. spending. With just one day of no spending by POC and, al and allies, we can keep, keep billions out from the economy Money talks, let's speak their language. Okay. So don't spend that day. Or do. I don't know. 
I don't know what to do anymore. Please help me. <laughs> help me. I no longer exist in a physical form. My body has been has been changed into just a little stream of electrons on every on just on the internet and you can access my voice through this podcast. I'm trapped here on the internet. Help me. Help trapped in this little box. Um, let's see. The racist history of U.S. national parks. Many of America's and beloved national parks were carved out of land belonging to Native Americans or attended on as reservations. The Badlands, Mesa Verde, Grand Canyon, Death Valley, to name a few. I talked about that, yeah. Um... Yeah, we were, we were dicks to the Native Americans. No getting around that. Um, let's see. Uh, Fifteen characteristics of white supremacy culture. Perfectionism. Sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, only one right way, paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism, I'm the only one, progress is bigger, more. And actually, I, I accidentally mentioned that a little bit in my little opening when I was talking about ballad of songbirds and snakes what is progress is more pro is more technological progress really progress okay our objectivity right to comfort now it may sound like like these general concepts here are the characters of, of white supremacy i don't think that's what they're saying i don't think they're saying that perfectionism in general is white supremacy i think they're saying being a perfectionist in the realm of seeking out racial justice to try to right systematic racism and like you know correcting any little flaws would be characteristic of this white supremacist culture and that goes for the rest of these The way I understand it, I don't think they're saying that like individualism is white supremacy, but maybe thinking individualistically in this realm is. It just in case anybody was trying to criticize the post based on that measure. Um, Okay, here's a less depressing post. Um, apparently someone back in October of 2019, someone posted <laughs> a picture of like a sad guy sitting there with a bag that says Uber Eats in front of the street fires at night. And it's like and wrote, this is what I imagine the 2020s will be like. And <laughs> someone quoted the tweet, they're like, this one aged like fine wine. A little dark humor for you. There we go. Okay, um... Apparently, some family therapist uh, announced that uh, 
We need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. So that was a little wholesome bit. I know these are kind of random things I'm doing. I'm, I like to send myself posts to the point counterpoint Instagram so I can look at stuff to read. Verschlim Besserung describes an effort to make things better, which actually ends up making things worse. So there's this one comedian, and he makes these little videos on Instagram. They're really, they're very funny. They're, they're informative too. And I thought he made some good points with uh, why it's actually important that we do remove these Confederate flags and statues. So I'll just let you listen to that. Confederate flags and statues need to be taken down. And his name is uh, Andrew Schultz. Fort Hood? 
That's too far, man. I always thought y'all were the ones who were like, we're too easy on kids, no more participation trophies. What the fuck do you think these statues are? They're not for winning, especially this statue of Boris. It looks like the Burger King. But this is where people get confused, because these well-intentioned kids are like, we're taking down these hateful and racist statues. We should take down all hateful and racist statues. And I understand the sentiment, but we're not removing the statues because they're hateful and racist. Because if that was the case, we'd have to remove like every statue in America. I go so far to say that most monuments in the world honor someone who probably had some hateful tendencies. The pyramids were built to honor pharaohs that were slave drivers. Gandhi called African savages. Einstein said the Chinese were filthy. JFK and MLK were cracking cheeks while their wives watched the kids. FDR locked up a bunch of Japanese people. Our founding fathers owned slaves and knew it was wrong. And your grandparents were probably racist. Are you gonna take down their tombstones? No, you're not. But now people are getting crazy. They defaced a statue of a guy who tried to abolish slavery. And a Christopher Columbus statue was beheaded because it offended Native Americans. You know what else is offensive to Native Americans? America. Yeah. I don't think they're that happy when they see you driving on stolen land in your Jeep Cherokee. If we take down all the Columbus statues, we should be consistent and remove the District of Columbia. We should remove Columbus, Ohio, too. Matter of fact, we should do that anyway. It's a shithole. We gotta understand why the statues were built in the first place. The Confederate statues are celebrating crimes against America. They're honoring traitors who attempted to split the nation to protect their own ship of slaves, killing a million Americans in the process. The other people I mentioned are in no way perfect. They're incredibly flawed, but their statues were not erected to celebrate their flaws, but rather to honor their contributions to society, contributions we still admire to this day. That's why we got to keep that monument of George Washington's peace. It's easy to judge people in the past by our current moral standard, but if the standard is too high, no statue will ever exist. We're all hypocrites across the board. We want to take down the statues of people for their fucked up behavior, but yet we continue to support Nike and Apple. We all know sweatshop. We're all hypocrites. That's why you should be tolerant with others, but strict with yourself to minimize that hypocritical tendency. So slavery are wrong, but yet we're still wearing Jordans and maybe even watching this video on an iPhone made with cobalt mined by slaves. We like to condemn the evil system, but simultaneously reap the benefits. Just like the founding fathers, we're no better. Your iPhone should cost $10,000, but it doesn't because of exploitation. People are dying so you can watch porn on the toilet. We judge the people of the past, and the people in the future will judge us. Time turns everyone into a bigot, and you know what? That's good. That means society is getting better. Hopefully your grandkids look back on you and think, wow. My pappy allowed migrant workers to toil in the fields for little to no money and use a cell phone with slave cobalt and thought a gay tiger keeper drug lord was worth binge watching? What the fuck was wrong with him? So what do we do? We could consider the reasons the statues were erected in the first place and recognize that the statues don't embody every action these people have ever done, but rather are symbolic of the positive contributions they made. We could stop teaching that historical figures are gods and recognize that these people were incredibly flawed and we could judge them within the morality of their time. We could offer the same empathy to the people of the past as we can only hope the people of the future will offer us. Or we can see ancient relics that have done little to help black people and maybe even cause brutality in the cities they govern and cover them with a kente cloth. Racism <coughs> solved. Thanks, guys. Peace. Check out Andrew Schultz on Instagram. Yeah, so obviously a lot of monuments got taken down. Some justified, like the Confederate ones, or or uh, it makes sense to want to change some names of like um, there's a military base in California named after a Confederate general, but other ones are just ridiculous. Like when you take down. Statues of Abraham Lincoln, or Ulysses S. Grant, Lincoln who freed the slaves, Grant who fought a war against slavery, and who also was a champion of civil rights for African Americans, took on the Ku Klux Klan, and they want to take down those statues? I've even seen criticism against Gandhi, who has said some vile things in the past, but that doesn't mean that he didn't make any positive contributions.
He encouraged peaceful demonstration. Just all around good guy. Besides some unfortunate, hateful ideas. Um, and also I've seen calls to take down a statue of Winston Churchill, the original anti-fascist. Antifa, by the way, being a terrorist organization. Okay. I think I've said basically everything I wanted to say. It's been Lit Fam. Namaste. Peace out.